On this week's episode of the F-Stops Here podcast, we talk to special guest Jason Allen, talk about the Chicago Sun-Tribune firing all their workers, and Joe has a few cocktails. Thanks for joining us, and happy shooting. Everybody and welcome to episode 15 of the F Stops Here podcast. Joe has already been muted, uh, so with us tonight we have Jamie, Joe, and a special guest Jason Allen. Hi, everybody. How are you? Good evening, Good evening sir. I don't know if Joe can actually talk. I would say hi. <laughs> but apparently no, 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 you're not, you're not. You're not muted. You're good. Um, for those playing along at home, Joe's had a few margaritas, so this oh, should come. be really, this, really. This should be fun. They can follow your, later in the show. They can follow your vines, Joe. Yeah, you can follow my vine. I will be live vining the show. Not, unfortunately, rickrolling like somebody managed to pull off, but I will probably not attempt that. Yeah, let's, gonna, just, let's just take a moment to acknowledge yeah. how awesome that was. That was, that was, that was amazing. Joe's going to be getting muted a lot off, today. And I'm never going to let you down. Uh, so how's everybody doing tonight? It seems like we got a rambunctious crew this evening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we good? Joe, what have you been shooting? You, uh, you're, not, you're not on the West Coast, are you? No, I'm currently in Atlanta right now. So, and I was, uh, I just actually posted and, well, gave my final edits over to this uh, Bravo Club, and they just actually posted right before the show started uh, some of the photos that I sent them for the um, opera preview that I did a couple weeks ago. So, um, yeah, uh, everything turned out pretty well. Uh, as I mentioned last show, it was a little bit of a challenge shooting some of the stuff against a gigantic backlit window, but uh, definitely came out, definitely delivered more than I promised, which is always my goal. And it was a lot of fun, and so far the client seems to like it. There's already a bunch of people you know, liking the album, tagging themselves, sharing it, so fingers crossed people actually want to buy prints, but we'll see. Yeah, if I may ask, um, like I was tuning in last week where you were talking about the challenges that shoot. What do you use for post on there? Um, so I, I'm one of the only people I think on this podcast show. On this anybody, planet. Or, or on this planet. I would just like to say on this podcast. <laughs> planet. That we've invited. Planet. That still uses Aperture. <laughs> um, so I've, I've been using Aperture for the last year or so. Um, eventually I probably want to go over to Lightroom 4 because I'm pretty sure... By the, the time upcoming... Lightroom 6 comes out? Exactly. I'm pretty <laughs> sure by the uh, upcoming WWDC that we'll probably not talk about Aperture whatsoever. Yeah, that, I think it's and... going the way of uh, Final Cut Pro X. Exactly. But that is cool to hear someone else is using Aperture. I actually use Aperture 3 as well. Oh, well, virtual high five. Um, high five, so, up top. Yes. So Highest it, of fives. <laughs> It's something where I, I did get to play around with a Lightroom 4 beta, and I actually am lucky enough to own one of the lenses in Lightroom that actually provides um, distortion correction. A profile, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the 1755 f2.8 Canon lens is something that I actually started messing around uh, with the beta about you know dealing with lens distortion in, when I was shooting um, cathedrals, actually, in France. So it was something where ever since I saw that feature in Lightroom 4, I've always kind of been curious. It's just that anytime it's on sale, I never have money. And anytime I have money, it's not on sale. If you still so, have your student ID, you can get it for 100 bucks with free upgrades for two years, I believe. Yeah, we'll take this offline because I probably yeah. actually I do have my student ID. <laughs> but yes, I may have just submitted that on air. So, anyways, Jamie, what you been shooting this week? Yes. Yeah, that's funny. Nice segue. <laughs> uh, I really haven't been shooting much. Um, I don't know. You guys mentioned pre-show some of the well, storms. No, 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 no. You've been chose. shooting some thunderstorms. Hold on a second. You have been shooting something. Well, no, not really. They weren't yes. anything like what was in the plain states. But, no, I've just been out trying to chase down a few storm systems as they rolled through. Nothing great, <laughs> really. Just one picture happened to get traction. It was weird. Like, I don't know. I threw it up on the local news station's Facebook page, and then it ended up as, like, the intro for the weather for that night, and I don't know, it hit Explore on Flickr. I don't know, just a lot of people liked it. It's funny that so many people liked it, because I was like, man, I have a whole bunch that are way better than this. How come this one? <laughs> like, getting the likes, it's so weird. 
I know um, 500 picks, like, I had to uninstall the app from my phone. <laughs> it was like, it was just annoying the shit out of me. It was constantly, like, dinging. Because every time you get a notification, like, it hit a 500 picks app, so it would notify me. And then it would yeah. hit Gmail because it's forwarded to that. I'm like, holy crap, this is just annoying. I mean, it's cool. I'm stoked. I guess so many people liked it, but it was like, man, time to turn it off. And you mentioned that, uh, the reactions that you get. Yes. On 500 picks versus like Flickr. When people respond on Flickr, it's like they took a minute, they looked at your photo, and they left something that most of the time meant something, you know? Whereas on 500 picks, it's like, cool shot, dude, come check out my stream. You should, you should see my stream and come rate some of my photos. Right, yeah. So, kind of dovetailing onto the 500px, I've heard a rumor online they're actually getting rid of the downvote button on 500px. Has anybody else heard this? There's a downvote button? Yeah, there is. The internet's seeing a move towards positivity. Is this really happening? (laughs) I mean, considering I've been on Facebook for how many years and they haven't had a dislike button, I'm kind of shocked that I believe one. But I've actually heard that Maybe uh, uh, Facebook's licensing that technology from them, huh? (laughs) It it could be. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting because so far, anything I've heard online about 500 pack. PX removing the downvote button has All been right. positive. So maybe I'm just like weird. What? Sorry. You done? <laughs> We're gonna do this maybe again this week. Having connectivity issues. Mute me. I see how I care. <laughs> I uh, I I don't see any downvote button at all anywhere. What really? It used yeah. to be on there. No, I've got um, – Because it used to I, piss me off. I had some haters that would come in. I'd be I'd be killing it with a picture, and then all of a sudden there'd be like. 20 or 30 downvotes, and I'm like, I know it's one dude with, like, 30 accounts. <laughs> unless, um, unless it's got... No, I, it, legitimately, there's a... Uh, hold on now. There's a voting button. Let me see what happens if I... Un- well, see, I'm favoriting... No, all there is is the heart button, so it may already be gone. Maybe it's oh. gone. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, let's observe a moment of silence for the downvote button on 500 picks. No, I think that's pretty good. If you spend any time on Reddit, you know how bad a downvote can be. Oh, oh yes. snap. Uh, yes. So, our podcast getting controlled by Reddit. All right. So, Zach, what have you been shooting? Uh, so, actually, I've been busy as all sin this past week. Uh, I did four sessions, four shoots in five days. Um, wow. The one thing I couldn't actually talk about on the last couple shows uh, that I can now. I got my first experience with a um, a surprise in, uh, proposal, which was really a lot of fun. It was the ultimate engagement shoot uh, because I think I might have been more nervous than the actual couple was. Uh, so, um, so that was really cool uh, to to get to be a part of that and to see. I don't know. It was it was, it was really kind of neat because there are very few times in a, in a person's life where you're going to get more raw, pure emotion. Than when a a a spouse uh, can can like is is getting proposed to, uh, you know, I would probably rank not that I have kids because I don't, but I would probably rank it up there with the first time that like a father sees his child or, or something like that. You know, there's there's very few things that really kind of rank up there uh, with I'm just gonna cut loose and and let it all kind of come out of out of me. Than, than that, so that was really There's cool. There's got to be a better way to say that. There's got to be. Is there not? <laughs> Excellent Somebody? Arrested no? Development reference there. I've well, never watched an episode. Yes. <laughs> never watched an episode of that show. And then the other things were uh, I did a, a family session and uh, a couple of engagements. So that was kind of run of the mill stuff. Pretty, pretty routine. Uh, but I am going to Myrtle Beach this this next week. So. Uh, I'm actually kind of hoping to try out for those of us that didn't leave Android Joe. Jesus. Uh, and uh, Trigger Trap just released their Android update uh, for their I didn't their leave it. I just took an extended leave of absence. Joe, hold your phone up real quick. We're on a break. Joe, hold your hold your phone up. Yeah. Do you both know that you're on a break or is it kind of lopsided? Like no, maybe both, you like Trust maybe me. you yeah, think yeah. it's on a break, yeah. but yeah. The, your phone is it, dating somebody it's, else. It's okay. Jack released Vine for Android right after I left, so I mean, people are aware that I'm I'm looking elsewhere. It's all good. There's uh, a Facebook so, official. <laughs> oh my god. Oh so my god. Uh, so yeah. So um, we'll go ahead and and, and kind of segue into the next part. So uh, before we ask you what you've shot this past week, we should probably introduce Jason a little bit. Um, so. 
I'm going to go ahead and give you the uh, the copy that Jason sent us. Probably our first guest to ever send us his his bio. Um, so I hope everybody has two hours because he wrote a novel. Uh, <laughs> it's I, worth I, it. I, I mean, come on. Like, this guy has like, uh, a I lot can give, of... I can give no, him I, no, I, I've got to introduce you. I feel like I'm, <laughs> no, no, I'm giving no, you okay. a we, we introduce okay. you. Um, so Jason uh, has a background in military public affairs and photojournalism with the United States Navy. He worked at PETA. Uh, he wants us to know that, yes, it was that PETA. Um, developing, filming, and editing TV commercials, um, although he still loves a good medium-rare steak. Uh, he worked freelance for a number of years doing wedding and event portrait and corporate portfolio photography using Nikon equipment. And he's currently at Mind & Media Incorporated as a producer and editor. Um, Predator, which is apparently an actual title. He does that scripting. is an actual title. That's, <laughs> that's a recognized title in my industry. I am a Predator, producer, editor. Uh, Chris Hansen will be by later. Uh, <laughs> Please have a seat over there. <laughs> he, does script, he does. He does. Sorry. He does <laughs> script, scripting, casting, filming, and editing commercials for military, corporate, and government clients. And recently completed filming the feature-length documentary *Dream: An American Story* using a mix of traditional electronic film production equipment and SLR rigs. Uh, we'll be posting a, a link to that uh, production in the show notes. Uh, so, Jason, what have you been up to in the, in the the field of photography. Well, thank you guys for having me on the show. I really appreciate being here. Um, I'm actually an old high school friend of Joe's, and uh, the rest of you guys I just met earlier this evening, basically. But um, I haven't done as much shooting this week as I'd like to. Um, my office has just been moving from our old location in uh, northern Alexandria, like just, just south of Arlington, and we're setting up a new facility in Old Town Alexandria, so things have been a little bit of a mess. Uh, camera equipment all over the place, had to set up a network with about 36, uh, 36 workstations, four video editing stations, and a production studio. So it's been a little hairy. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to show off some cameras this evening, do a little talking about photography because I feel like I haven't done it in about two weeks. Fantastic. So well then we'll, we'll just go ahead and roll right into kind of what you wanted to talk about this evening. So go for it. All right, so the project that I recently completed, um, well, actually, technically, it's still a work in progress. We're still filming the ending chapter for it. Um, I started at Mind & Media, which is a little mom-and-pop shop uh, video production company here in Northern Virginia. And my boss, Aldo, uh, had this great idea for a documentary that he had just started filming. Uh, this is fall of 2009 when I started there. And for the past three and a half years, We've been filming all over the United States, uh, in New York, in D.C., Florida, uh, all over uh, Virginia and the Midwest even. And we've, uh, we've done some remote shoots in Colombia as well, filming the story about a young undocumented immigrant uh, who's in the unfortunate position where he's basically brought to the United States as a child. And he uh, you know, grew up here, knows nothing about Colombia, and uh, was you know just your average American high school student applying for college, and his family was almost deported. So it's a it's a pretty uh, it was a pretty gripping story. His friends fought back on the uh, on the the whole deportation case. His parents were ultimately deported, but then we broadened the story to include um, other students in his situation and the larger political issue. So kind of where we're at now is we're filming the conclusion to this story arc on what happens now. There are 11 million undocumented kids in this country in his situation. And the Senate's about to vote on some legislation that could help or hurt this community. So we're just kind of taking a look at all that. But throughout the process of filming this documentary, we've used a mix of DSLR equipment, um, electronic film production equipment like the Panasonic P2-based camcorders like the HVX200, uh, the Panasonic uh, HPX250, and some of the Vericam series of Panasonic cameras as well, uh, Vericam 2700 and the HPX370. Um, so those are traditional heavy-duty broadcast cameras. You have a fixed lens, a small image sensor, and they're built for news gathering. Um, so what we started to take advantage of were a few pieces of equipment that allowed us to get that cinema-like look 
before DSLRs became ubiquitous. You know, every production out there right now uses a 5D Mark II for something. So when we started filming, uh, the only way to get 35-millimeter look and feel where you have shallow depth of focus, rich contrast, and that, that cinema-like look that everybody just eats up with a spoon was to use this contraption called the lettuce adapter. It was a screw-on adapter that screwed on the front of these camcorders. You still had your fixed lens, so you're losing light in the lens. Then you had this adapter in front of it like a periscope with a matte focusing screen, and then you would put your cinema lens in front of that. Ultimately, ultimately, you lose about eight stops of light doing that. So when we go on location for what should be a simple three-light setup with a key light in front, fill to the side, and a, a hair light behind, we found we needed a five-light kit with almost 3,000 watts of output to properly light the subject. So the first year of production, we are using this pair of HVX 200s. We were getting amazing footage, but we were cooking our subjects with the heat of these freaking lights, right? <laughs> so that was our first challenge. And that's when DSLR started taking off as a video platform. Here you have the 5D Mark II on the Canon side of things, the Nikon D90, which I owned at the time and was using for freelance work on the side, uh, being able to do 720p HD and 1080p HD video. Uh, now, we kind of started this documentary at the dawn of the digital age, so we, we basically set our format at 720p because 1080p was a bear to work with uh, back in 2009. Obviously, computers have caught up to uh, the raw footage. So we started filming things at 1080p uh, using Nikon DSLRs for some of the footage. But that presents a whole other host of challenges. DSLRs are built for image. They're not built for sound. On, mm-hmm. you know, on, on your traditional electronic film production cameras, you have XLR inputs. That's a balanced line input where you can use professional-grade recording microphones like the Sennheiser ME66 boom microphone or the Sony ECM44 Bravos. Uh, They're little lavalier microphones that clip on the collar and are very handy. Um, And so we found ourselves in a position where we could get amazing images out of sub-$1,000 cameras and, uh, you know, sub-$2,000 cameras. Keeping, again, keep in mind, some of the Panasonic Vericams that we used early on in production cost $30,000 without a lens. Good Lord. So the wow. means of production, you know, the means of production came down significantly in price. We went from a $30,000 camera to a $1,500 camera that could get the same image quality. But then you have the sound issue. So what we started doing, we used what's called a split system sound sync, where you use an external recorder. Mm. And oh, I'm going to okay. put my microphone down because I'm using split system here with this little external mic. Uh, <laughs> so basically you, uh, you do a clap sync where at the start of the production, mm-hmm. you know, you clap your clapboard. You've all seen it in movies. And you use the peak on your audio file, that, that yep. giant spike where it gets loud to synchronize your audio. That's but actually that's using that's, that's that's using podcasting a lot. That's actually if if yep. if we were to ever go through a uh, to to a point in our podcast where we all contributed our audio, that was actually kind of the way we were going to do it. So that's pretty interesting that yep. you you mentioned right. that. So before you know, like before things really took off with DSLR video, people were MacGyvering this stuff. You know, people mm-hmm. were making all these hobbled together rigs. That could approximate what the $30,000 cameras could do for under $4,000, soup to nuts, with your sound gear, your lighting gear, your tripod, your lenses, your camera, and uh, your recording capture device. And, and, not so, to, and not to interrupt, but no, no, so was this plugged, like, so was this actually plugged, like, was something plugged into the camera when you were doing this, or was this something nope. where entirely independent of what you were recording? This is entirely independent, and it, okay. you know, one of the biggest problems it presented us with was remembering to start recording on the second device. Uh, we actually <laughs> lost – no shit. We lost a very important interview uh, because our audio engineer forgot to start recording on the external device. Um, so the industry realized there was a need for this kind of technology where people wanted to do cinema-style production on a shoestring indie budget. And that's when in 2010, 2011, we started seeing from Sony, from Panasonic, 
these interchangeable lens camcorders. And I have one with me here this evening. This is actually our trusty, dusty Panasonic AF100 that we used for the majority of filming in the last year and a half, two years for the Dream Project. Um, it's a dedicated Micro Four Thirds camcorder. Hey, it, look at that! Yep. Wow. Yeah, where, where are my Nikon? Uh, where are my uh, Micro Four Thirds fans at? That would be Jamie <laughs> and Josh and half our listening body. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I will say right now I'm a huge fan of the Micro Four Thirds system, and here's why. It brought the, the barrier to entry, like cost-wise, down for interchangeable lens cinema cameras from the Sony F35, which was, I believe at the time, a $40,000 camera that records straight to flash hard drives, like proper put-it-in-your-computer hard drives. And it, it allowed Panasonic to market a platform with affordable lenses um, that is hand-holdable, extended battery life, and under $6,000 with a decent lens ready to shoot. And it records the SD cards. Um, yeah, really, this, it really kind of looks like you're just just lightly tossing that thing around. Uh, you know... Are you going to juggle some later? I mean, is there going to be a show? Or? So th- this camera, you know, I'm, I'm holding it one hand and I'm holding it from the back of the camera like uh, like you'd hold a football. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the neat thing about this camera is there's no tape deck on the side. You know, some of some of our cameras that we're still shooting with, you know, can shoot to DigiBeta in HD. And, you know, the tape deck adds like 30 pounds. And that's not a lot of fun to carry around for a rally on the mall, for, you know, a trip through, uh, you know, Cartagena, Colombia, you know, and it's certainly not conspicuous on the streets of Miami or New York City where you kind of want to go unnoticed when you're filming without a permit. Um, So, yeah, well, you know, the footage is in there. It's, you know, fake it till you make it, right? We uh, we got the shot and uh, New York can send us the bill, whatever. So the Upstart podcast does not endorse uh, filming without a permit or breaking laws in New York City. Yes, uh, the, the views expressed by Jason Allen do not reflect <laughs> the views of Mind Media Incorporated. And wow, uh, <laughs> we're getting all. Well, this is the part where we that's, just pause that sounds like and you, do that, all of the NDAs. That slash, really sounds like uh, you've practiced saying that once or twice. Yeah, I, I have. <laughs> I, I have a hard time keeping my opinions to myself, so I, I practice that line. So this camera really don't follow what we camera. say unless we say so. Right? <laughs> no. Okay. So this camera was really the game changer. This introduced to the market an affordable cinema camera option. And then, as you all know, the Panasonic GH2 is an amazing, amazing SLR for the price point. Uh, you know, you get it used on some of the some of the gear forums and eBay for about six hundred fifty dollars with a bunch of batteries. Right? That has the same sensor as the six thousand dollar cinema camera in my hand. Same exact sensor, soup to nuts takes the same picture quality in ABC HD format, ready to edit in Adobe Media Composer, uh, excuse me, in Adobe Premiere and Avid Media Composer. That's my talk, and Joe's not the only one that drank before the show. <laughs> so, you know, the, the GH2 really... Theme. Yeah, so the GH2 really brought now that, that Micro Four Thirds video game to a new level. Where you have a sub thousand dollar camera that can do the sub, you know, the the six thousand dollar camera's job. So now anybody and their mother that has a prime lens and a GH2 can go out and shoot something that looks like a decent documentary. And uh, they just have to buy a couple other goodies with it. And I'll, I'll show you some of those here. Uh, so among the tools of our kit, one of the best three hundred dollars on gear I have ever spent is this device here called the Zoom H4N Handy Recorder. Mm. And this tiny little box with the microphones on top here is a very capable audio recording device. It does raw recording in WAV format, uh, ready to throw right into your editing software, ready to throw on the timeline with your footage. It is plays that a, nice. Go ahead. Is that a pass-through? I mean, does that work straight with... Uh... So if you're on a true shoestring budget... All you need are the two microphones on top here. These are excellent cardioid pattern condenser mics. Wow, and they have 90-degree nice. pickup pattern to left and right. They record separate channels. They're discrete channels. So you can set it in front of you 
like this, and I'll, I'll point it towards you here. Um, so Are you recording us right now? I am recording you right now. It's true. Ooh. So, Ooh. so what's I really neat about this? For this. <laughs> what's really neat about this uh, Just kidding. Just is kidding. that you have, you know, you have your interview mics right here. You just have to put it between you and the subject and handhold it. You'll see a lot of reporters using this in the field for coverage of political events. You'll see uh, a lot of celebrity interviews conducted with this exact unit. And it's under $300 new. You get it for even less used. What's really neat about it is if you're recording a live music event, if you're recording something where uh, you're booming a microphone, where you're doing a lavalier microphone clipped to your subject, it has two discrete XLR inputs on the bottom, right there on a battery-operated AA-powered device. It'll run for six hours on a single charge. Cool. So this is your split system right here for about $200 used, $300 new. And this blew up the industry. When you started seeing good sound portable with good portable video, amazing things happen. You have indie films coming out that look like they were shot by J.J. Abrams. A little bit of effects work. A lot of lens flare. In the field. A lot of lens flare, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm guilty as charged in that regard. Um, you know, people are doing amazing things with this gear. So kind of what I wanted to introduce to your audience is you don't need to go out and spend $6,000 to buy the means of production. All you really need are the editing software, which is probably your most expensive piece of equipment, Adobe Premiere. Uh, you know, you're licensing Adobe Creative Cloud for $60 a month now or buying it outright for $1,600. You know, then you buy yeah. your camera, you buy your lens, you buy your sound. Remember, half of good video is good audio. Then you buy your, your tripod and you're good to go. That's all you need right there to do good documentary film work that sounds good and looks good. Now, if you really want to take it to another level, you add a three-point lighting kit, and you get out there with a good story and you shoot it. So that's that's kind of been my yeah, experience that's, that's, with it. That's kind of the important part that uh, you can you can buy a shoestring budget worth of uh, gear, but uh, I don't exactly have the wherewithal to film a good movie. So. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you <laughs> also have to shoot, you know, weddings and engagements and stuff like that. You don't necessarily, well, for some of it, you can't really either need to or want to shoot the video part. Well, you know, and this is kind of what we... You're preoccupied somewhere else. Well, this is kind of what we talked about last week with, um, Jamie, you had mentioned, who was it that you said was shooting hybrid shoots now? Oh, Julio Ciorio. Yeah. Um, Him and a few, I don't know, everybody on the small camera, big picture site, it seems like, are kind of doing the whole hybrid photography thing. You know, they all shoot micro four-thirds. We all do. Um, And Julio starting to do a lot where he delivers to the customer not only stills but also, like, motion and audio, too. Because, I mean, you know, if you think about it, we're getting to a point where print media is probably slowly, slowly dying out. And, you know, if you're looking at everything on a screen, why not have video with it? If you can do it, you know, you should be doing it. Sorry, my phone's going off there. I got to put $20 (laughs) in the jar now. (laughs) This is the only jar we've got. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, um, one yeah, one thing I've noticed a lot of in the DC market uh, among the freelance photographers doing event and wedding photography, even if they're they're not tasked in their contract with doing video work, it's a nice value add. It will keep mm-hmm. your customer happy and it'll keep them coming back because it's all about keeping your customer happy, especially with bridezillas. We all we all know that story, right? <laughs> yeah. So yes. the the ability to shoot good HD video on the fly. And be able to better tell a visual story with the frame, with a series of moving frames, is, you know, it's part of every photographer's toolkit today. Um, You know, there isn't a camera you can buy today from entry level on up to, like, medium format digital that doesn't do HD video. So we have to become, in our industry, we have to become jack-of-all-trades in that field. And so I, I would advise all photographers that have the capability to do so, go out for fun, shoot a visual story with video. It's a lot trickier than, you know, than you think it might be, yeah. but it's a lot more fun in a lot of ways. So give us a couple of tips on shooting video. Cause you know what? Um, I shoot with OMDs and 
I'll shoot some video clips every once in a while, but I'll tell you what I have a hard time with is keeping focus on a moving subject. So how do you guys do that? How do you manage that? Or do you always have to have your subject on a mark in order to do it? So a lot of what I do um, with video, when, uh, when I'm using any interchangeable lens system and any large sensor camera where depth of focus is part of the look, where you're deliberately shooting with shallow depth of field, um, I try to stop down. You know, I rarely go below f2.8, f4, even on cinema prime lenses like the Zeiss 85 uh, f1.4 that we used for a lot of our interviews in the in the Dream Project. Um, what you'll find with video is that people move a lot more than you think they do when you're sitting across the table and talking with oh, them. Yeah. Yeah. People like me that talk with their hands that. Uh, when I'm not stuck holding the microphone in front of me, um, <laughs> you know, pe- people like me that talk with their hands are all over the place. Even, even if they're even if they're seated for an interview, you have left to right movement. You have a lot of front to back movement, and you're racking focus the whole time. Yeah, I would say the number one tip for shooting professional looking video is if you can shoot off of a tripod, mm. because I can't tell you how many times you see what could have been an amazing shot that's just jostled all over the place by somebody's caffeine-addled hands. You know, we're, we're all coffee junkies in this field, and caffeine is not your friend when it comes to shooting steady. So the, the most important piece of gear in a field videographer's kit is a sturdy tripod with a fluid head. Um, you know, once you start introducing movement to your shot, panning left to right, tilting up down, uh, you know, giving it a little bit of a Dutch angle and, you know, going Darren Aronofsky on it, you want the movement in your shot to be fluid and deliberate. Yeah. The second the second you see it jostling all around, everybody thinks back to Blair Witch Project, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So um, there, there are a couple affordable options. You know, if you, if you go on B&H's website and search fluid head tripod, you're going to get sticker shock. There are tripods on there that cost more than most camera and lens professional combos. Uh, one really lightweight, fairly affordable, uh, and I say fairly affordable because it is like three, four hundred dollars for grip gear. Uh, you know, something that doesn't take a picture uh, is the Manfrotto uh, legs, the one nine one nine zero XDB legs. It's a, I'm going to turn the camera actually towards it here. It's a simple single column tripod. Meaning, you know, there's, there's just one set of sticks there. It's just aluminum pipe like a monopod. Most photo tripod users use this tripod. There's a carbon fiber version of it that's a little bit lighter and about three times the cost and about half the durability. Uh, I like the heavy-duty aluminum version because the, the weight adds stability. Uh, you put a simple Manfrotto 501 HDV head on there for like maybe another $100. You're right at around $250, and you have all that you need to lock your camera down and get a steady shot with a fluid pan. And for your listeners, when you're talking about a fluid tripod head, I'm assuming you're talking about. Yeah. Can you go into a little bit more detail about that? Because I I know we have some listeners on there that aren't exactly well-versed when it comes to stuff like that. No, it's totally okay. They're waterproof tripods. Well, no, we're talking about the, the, the they're designed ball, for the ball scuba heads. use. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it uh, stabilizes yeah, so your camera underwater. Scuba use. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're tripods for scuba use. No, I'm oh, kidding. Scuba. I'm completely being facetious there. Um, so, fluid head tripods um, are basically tripods that are designed to be moved during the exposure. Think think about your average photo tripod with a ball head. As soon as you loosen up the uh, uh, lockdown mechanisms, your camera's floating all over the place. It's immediately able to 360 degrees around in a circle. A video tripod, when you release the brakes on on the pan and tilt function, it's damped. It's, It's like heavy grease inside of the tripod head so that when, when you start pushing pressure on the tripod arm, it eases into motion, it gets going, and then it slows down with its own inertia. Uh, and fluid is a reference to the, the fluid motion. It eases into motion and it eases out of motion, as opposed to, like, the stiff and jostling moves you see on, like, a $30 Sunpack tripod from Best Buy. I, I hope that better explains it. Yeah. No, definitely. Okay, cool. 
So second tip for good video, and this is something you'll, you'll see a lot of people that know what they're doing. Uh, they'll still let the exposure float all over the place during a shot. We've all seen it on, like, the evening news when, like, an explosion happens and the photographer whips around to get the uh, the quick zoom in of whatever happened in the background. Everything's washed where out. Where the exposure just goes all over the place. You know, you blow out your highlights, you lose detail in the shadows, and then the camera rages to compensate. When you're shooting video, everything should be in manual mode. I say that again. Everything should be in manual mode. There isn't a cinema camera out there that has autofocus, and I'll tell you why. When you're shooting something that's going on a giant screen, you don't want the little microchip in your camera the size of your pinky fingernail making your focus decisions for you. You want to ease everything slowly to the point of focus. For your aperture, you don't want the camera to go from f1.4 wide open to F16 crank down immediately. You want to ease it down. Everything's all about smooth in video. When you're moving the camera, everything should be nice and slow. You know, you don't want to, again, go Blair Witch Project on your audience and do a whip pan where everything just smears left to right. You'll make your audience sick if it's projected. So it's all about slowing it down, making deliberate steps in what you're shooting. And in, in many ways, you have to be one step ahead of the action with video. And video is very difficult. I don't enjoy it particularly very much, uh, especially news gathering video. It's very tough to immediately react to something but still keep it professional and, like, slow zoom in on what's happening without just racking the zoom uh, lever and racking the focus immediately. Everything's live. So... Those two tips, you apply those to what you're shooting. Shoot everything manual so ex your exposure and focus don't jump around with the jitters. And you shoot everything steady, you know, you're in business. You're ahead of 90% of the competition. Cool. Very cool. I appreciate J the tips. Jamie, yeah, doesn't no – um, doesn't, I, think, doesn't I, I think I've gone on long enough. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't uh, Olympus have built-in image stabilization in the bodies? It's uh, five-axis – image stabilization in the OMD. So I wonder and how much that would play into video. You need to rent one and check it out. It'll blow your mind. I know, I do. I do. <laughs> uh, here we go, yeah. <laughs> image stabilization is actually very good um, on a lot of the Micro Four, th uh, micro four Thirds lenses from Panasonic. And the Olympus system, I, when I was shooting my Micro Four Thirds for my main kit for, for like run-and-gun fun stuff, um, I was shooting with the Olympus bodies because... You throw an old manual focus prime on there, you still get image stabilization because the sensor's yeah, adjusted. That's wild. And I love it. It actually works. Yeah, especially on the OMD, well, on the new EP5. You know, the five axis, you know, you've got pitch and roll and everything controlled now, so it's not just lateral movements that are controlled. It's, like I said, pitch and roll, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I ran into some issues with that here over this past weekend because Canon's image. <laughs> Excuse me. Canon's image stabilization is actually you have to switch it from from pitch to roll, uh, okay. and if you don't and you turn the camera improperly, your image stabilization is worthless. So, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've also actually heard something about the Canon image stabilization that you're actually supposed to turn it off when you're traveling with the lens off the body because it locks it in place or something. Now, sure. granted, that was tweeted by some lens rental company, so it will probably be... Where's Alex at? Who trusts those yeah. people, am I right? Like, yeah, well, it's, def <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not Alex's company, I'll tell you that. But, yes, yeah, so somebody has tweeted that, and I don't know if it's actually accurate or not. Um, I mean, it would make sense. The, I know for the Nikon system, that's correct. Like the 400mm f2.8 VR... Mm -hmm. Uh, they they want you to lock down the the VR module before you dismount the lens. I mean, you're oh, talking really? like a, you're talking about a twelve hundred dollar repair if that VR module goes out. So you listen to Nikon when they say that. <laughs> yeah, so this is probably right with that Canon. I, I mean, I was just too busy drooling over the two hundred to four hundred with the apical extender, so maybe I wasn't paying attention. So sue me. Now, actually, well, let me ask you me. guys. That was just a rhetorical question. Anyway, yes, go ahead. Let me ask you guys. So, Jamie, you said you're, you're shooting with Micro Four Thirds for, for your wedding stuff um, and, and for event photography and, I imagine, for, for your own fun stuff as well. Um, like, what kind, of, what kind of stuff do you guys shoot, and have, have you attempted any video projects? I'm curious to hear about, like, how others are using the tools in the field. Uh, no solid video projects. Um, it's funny that 
it's well not funny but it's pretty cool that you do documentary work because for a long time i've been wanting to put together a short documentary on urbex in detroit um you know detroit's only like an hour and a half from me and i ran a kickstarter project a couple of times to try to get it funded um so that's probably in my near future other than that really video for me has just been something that i just i'll do it every now and then just to kind of do something different you know um i don't really do a whole lot of event work anymore um the position i'm in now i'm able to just kind of shoot what i like and not have to worry about you know doing event work or whatever to pay for equipment and all that so um i guess i i, I have a few projects in mind i want to do with video and it's it's kind of cool to have you on here to to give me some pointers on how to make it work you know i mean right now i'm using a ball head and obviously i know exactly what you're talking about because if you try to pan on a ball head i don't care what kind of image stabilization you've got it doesn't matter i mean you're still you can tell the difference between a nice fluid transition from point in your scene to another versus somebody that's trying to do it by hand and maintain you know this nice steady rhythm as they go right on yeah that that the the support for a camera is always one of the most important things. It's like when you look at how Hollywood does things, you know, you see some of the rigs that they're using for their tripods. Oh, yeah. Some of those Sackler tripods with the Cine video heads. The video fluid pan head on some of those tripods weighs about as much as I do. No joke. About 150, 160 pounds. Yeah. So <laughs> they're, they're no joke. And it, it's all about a smooth, steady shot. But I'd be happy to talk with you afterwards about the Urbex Expo. Uh, project that you have going there i'd be curious to hear more about it oh yeah cool and i I think everybody on the show would really like to see jamie pursue that again because i think now (laughs) would be a great opportunity for him to do that speaking as somebody that funded the original project Before the time that jamie got those images ripped off by i don't know some european company that used them uncredited yeah. Oh, th- that reminds me. We were, you were talking earlier about how one of your shots just like took off out of the blue. Um, I went back through my Flickr stream a little while ago to see what my most viewed photo was. And there's an annual event here in D.C. called the Pantsless Metro Ride. Joe, you've seen it happen. Where people... uh, yeah, so I've, heard, I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, the Pantsless Joe's Metro Ride Joe's currently participating happened. in that right now. Okay, first of all, A, I'm not in D.C., B, I am wearing pants. It's the Pantless Atlanta uh, podcast ride. Pants. Really? No, you can't see pants. come on. Pants. (laughs) Joe, put it away. It's a family-friendly show. (laughs) So so I went to the Pantless Metro ride with a group of other photographers in the D.C. area, and we participated. We we were out there in skivvies taking crowd shots because otherwise you're just the creeper with the camera. And um, there was a guy in, I swear to God, seven-foot-tall pedo bear costume. Oh, well hat. done. Well done. And, wow. he's sta- and he's standing over this, like, very petite, like, five-foot-one, you know, maybe a, a shade over five-foot blonde girl. And he's just looking down at her, like, holding on to, the, onto the, like, the strap hangers on the Metro. And, like, my, my whole Flickr account probably has, you know, maybe 50,000 views. That one photo has almost 20,000. <laughs> Can you cue this up? Like, seriously? Put the link below when we, uh, when we post this for the on uh, yeah, so like, I, I want to see this now. This, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, when you I don't watch the replay of this, <laughs> it'll take me a second It'll take yeah. me a second to find, but if you're watching this on the replay, check below for the link. This is, it, it, it's a cute shot, but yeah. 20,000 views, really? Not like activism it's, shots. It's, Come on, it's, 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 we will definitely be posting this in the show notes and uh, just you know track where you find the podcast, and we'll definitely make sure we share the link for this because uh, I'm pretty sure the rest Flickr, of the show wants to see it. Flickr is really just such an <laughs> Absolutely. odd. Flickr is such an odd beast because Joe, was it you or I forget who it was? Somebody I was talking to, they posted a picture and they accidentally put feet or foot. In the tags or the description, no, that's definitely not me. It, it got like not 50, me. I'm stepping away from this. Found the weird part of the internet again. Did you? It yeah. got like now. It got like fifty thousand views, and they couldn't figure out why. And I said, "Well, it's it's because there's a lot, foot, Josh. a lot of foot fetish people." Oh, that's good. Throw Josh under the bus now that he's not here. <laughs> He'll get me back for it next week. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Are you not here so, next yeah. week? No, it definitely was. 
not we no i'll be here next week i'll be yeah. here by myself but uh it definitely was not not me but uh but no so yeah that, that's the one thing i think it's been interesting about the whole new Flickr redesign speaking of Flickr, is that it seems like the backlash about people complaining about how they basically shipped all the white space to google has um died down well you know it's here. it's it's gonna be like that anywhere yeah i mean to- people hate change uh, yeah, I mean, look at the the backlash that's going on with the Google redes- or the Gmail redesign. And just so everybody uh, at home who may be listening or watching, uh, Jason is also apparently a magician. He has just disappeared. Oh yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, and he's back. I was looking. Oh, I was whoa. looking for the. Flipper. He's reappeared. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, I was just. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really and and I think over time you're really going to see. I mean, you even saw people. Um, was it was it Thomas? Your, your good buddy Tom Joe. Uh, yeah, Thomas, Tom, Thomas Hawk that that had yeah. people telling him that they were really happy about the change. Yeah. So um, just just for the record, anybody listening, especially if this is Thomas Talk, I have never claimed that in my life. I just happened to see the guy in person, and I may have met him on a Flickr photo walk. My bad. Your so, BFF, Tom. He is not my BFF. Oh Jesus! All right. Jesus is your BFF. <laughs> Jesus. Mm. All right, I found you guys the pedo bear photo. I just sent it to everyone. Thanks. <laughs> Enjoy that. God, that is Yay. something I never hoped I would ever hear on a podcast. Yep. Hey, remember that pedo bear file you guys wanted? Speaking of family friendly. Wow, we've already breached that 3,000 times today. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, then, uh, Jason, thanks a lot. Really. That was really informative. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. My pleasure. And any, anytime you guys have video questions, you know, just let me know and be happy to brain dump on you just like this. <laughs> Definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. So really, um, we only got a, about 15 minutes left. Uh, really only had one news story that we wanted to talk about this week. And, and Jason, it seems like you might have a little bit of, uh, little, a little bit of inf- in, uh, input into this as well, considering your background. Um, really, the I, biggest I have story. Some to... Strong opinions on this one. Yeah, yeah. so do I. <laughs> um, so the biggest story, and really kind of the only story to come out this past week, uh, was that the Chicago Sun Times laid off their entire oh, uh, staff oh. of, of photographers. And um, I actually on fstoppers.com just just saw that um, Robert Fetter posted on Facebook that uh, Sun Times reporters began. Mandatory training on iPhone photography basics following elimination of the entire photography staff. Correct. Um, I've heard that too. He was quoted as saying, or somebody was quoted as saying, in the coming days and weeks, we'll be working with all editorial employees to train and outfit outfit you as much as possible, produce the content we need. Um, Wow. (laughs) The entire staff laid off. That's, it bottles Uh, the mind. I have three words for them. I have three words for the staff of that paper. Fuck that noise. Seriously. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> I mean, there really, it's, 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 I experienced a very similar situation. Um, not so much on the scale of the Chicago Sun Times, but um, for anybody that doesn't know, I, I really kind of got my start in photography with a, a smaller organization um, doing a little bit of photojournalism on, on kind of the city level. And, I don't think a lot of people kind of realize that uh, this is probably a, a budgetary thing uh, in the fact that, that print media, uh, it, and even maybe not print media, just, just media as a whole, is really kind of screwing the pooch uh, as far as photography is going because they think that <clears throat> they're going to be fine with a couple of people with iPhones or, or mobile phones or point-and-shoots, whatever, going out. And what's is it? What's the okay. CNN? I report. How's that working out? Yeah, really. Lots I mean, of crap content there. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give it. You know, it's it's got some valid points. You know, I mean, you can have somebody on the scene like instantly if they're just some Joe Blow who happens to be walking by with a phone. But are they going to capture it with the same, you know, perspective as somebody that knows what in the hell they're doing? Well, I look mean, at the get, look at all the stuff like what Jason would shoot if he was on location, right? Well, you know, look, look at it this way: there's ubiquitous cameras. Like everyone has a camera with them at all times. And part of the the good thing about that is you have eyewitnesses everywhere, and it's likely that even in an event like the, let's say the Boston Marathon bombing, Absolutely. Uh, yep. you know, you had how many eyes on the ground right. that put that put enough content out there. The FBI tracked down the suspects that week. 
I mean, that's amazing having that kind of capability. On the flip side, you have a depreciation of the value of visual media professionals, people that go on scene, know how to ask the right questions as a journalist, how to get the right access to get a better shot of something. Um, but like you were saying, for print media, how much is good enough? Print media is dying. The papers that have adapted to online content are focusing on video. And they're doing short-form human interest stories. You know, papers like uh, the paper that shall remain nameless. I'm so angry I can't even say their name. Uh, <laughs> that fired their whole staff of photographers. They didn't make the switch to the new way of doing things. They, you know, they tried to keep their revenue up through print ad sales, and they were printing more ads than they were printing content. You know, content is king. If your audience isn't getting what they want, they go elsewhere to get it. It's like a fix. They're druggies. You know, and in a 24-7 news outlet world, your content better be shit hot on your website because people want it. They want it now, and they want it on their phone, their iPad, their Android tablet, representing you know the Google side of things there. Um, <laughs> you know, they if the content's not there and it's not there immediately, you lose your audience. You Once you've lost your audience, you're just you know amputating limbs to save the torso. And I think that's what this paper is doing, sadly. I- and and let's not let's not kid ourselves here. Uh, as far as news is concerned, th- the large majority of people have become so dumbed down by the news because it really is a twenty four hour a day thing that visual attraction is the only way to draw people in, and nobody really wants to see lousy, grainy, you know, tiny photos or or, or even video. I mean, how. You know, we're talking about an entire staff of photographers here. How long is it going to be before they start laying videographers off, you know, because people are, are out there shooting their, their photos like – or shooting their video like this. We're going to have, you know, CBS News posting videos where there's giant black bars on either side because some yokel couldn't couldn't afford to turn his phone the they, other way. They already do. Yeah. yeah. The video is already out there. Yeah. Can you, quick? Can you make the lightsaber sound real quick just for everyone on the call or on the phone? Just rush out uh, and get your 4K TV so you can consume that iPhone media on it. There we go. That's the spirit. Yeah. That's the spirit. Oh, I want to turn my sound off. So, so, but I think one thing that we are kind of glossing over here, Jason and Zach, when we're talking about it, is I think that the newspapers are struggling to deal with the shift to visual content. And I think that the Chicago Sun-Times firing their entire photography department is kind of a tone-deaf response to the way that the Internet is going. And, and only only more so solidified by the fact that they're training them to become iPhonographers. Correct. Correct. Which is, look at how good the Amwacs are doing for the wedding industry. So, hey, let's just try that with uh, with our news. Yeah, Am, really. Amwacs? I'm not following, but... <laughs> Another mother with a camera, you know, like every uh, household. Uh, so like Uncle Bob's kind of thing. The Uncle Bob's, yes. Yeah, the yeah. Uncle Bob's and the GWC's, the guys with Wait, camera. hold on. Let me find my iPad so that I can shoot with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm shooting your wedding photos right now. They're gorgeous. <laughs> right. I'm totally finding this. Just kidding. Just remember to put it vertical for video. They love Sorry, that. Yeah, here we go. I'm taking your, taking your photo. I don't know. It's It's just frustrating to see because... You know, one of the biggest points that was brought up was, and, and we, we already kind of mentioned it, but, you know, if, if the AP has a photographer that's, that's you know, on staff and... Yeah, well, so, so, I, I don't know if it's really on staff easy, anymore. Let me finish like they, my point. Hold on, let me finish my point. You hush or I'll mute you. <laughs> you know, I just... Five, six, seven, I lost count. Oh, yeah. Okay, whatever. Um, so <laughs> I, I just picked up um, the, the book... And I'm spacing on the title right now, but it was it's the book that was put out by Eric Draper, who was uh, he was the White House photographer during the entire eight years that Bush was in in the office. And it really the book really provides some insight into into what truly went on in the Oval Office and what truly went on in in eight years of a of a president. And, and that's not something that somebody with an iPhone is going to be able to get get access to. Right. I mean, sure you you might have. You know, an excellent social media staff in the current administration that's that's constantly there and vining things and Instagramming things and all this other stuff. But you're going to tell me that 
that somebody that was was at ground zero on on nine twelve with a cell phone able to get the access that that Draper was able to get to the president and to everything that was going on. If you continue to fire staff photographers like this, and even that, I mean, uh, I hate to to kind of get away from from photography and stuff, but you look at at things like games meet like video games media. So much of it has has wandered into this bizarre territory where they're they're getting people who really like video games to write for these major news sites for free. And they're producing crap content. But people are accepting it because the publishers don't care about anything but the advertising revenue, which is really kind of what you're seeing. I mean, how many how many newspapers are we see now if you go to their site, you see very few photos in the actual uh, page and and it's it's all ads all you see is ads well like like i said content is king and you know people are starting to recognize that the internet sort of filtering out crap content i mean that's what reddit is it's the front page of the internet right um you have people saying hey this is what's worth looking at they're sharing it with their friends on every platform of social media um you know you have ubiquitous cameras everywhere but like you said, people that have access also have the background to know how to tell a visual story. You know, Eric Draper knows how to tell a complete story in one frame where he takes a shot of the president at ground zero on nine twelve, like you said. You know, a guy with a camera phone is going to get a snapshot. It's all about telling the story. And right. I think largely the, uh, the photographer layoff is a management issue. It was poor management to keep such a large photography department there yeah. doing just photography you know over the last four years I've, I've grown accustomed to like the 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 whole um everybody has to wear multiple hats at this job kind of uh feel you know you work at a small company you know one day you're a video guy the next day you're an it guy right they they're making the move towards having their journalists who for the most part do have photojournalism background in addition to print journalism and writing. Uh, you know, they're, they're saying, okay, you got to be the jack of all trades. You got to wear many hats because there aren't, and you know, there aren't enough meals to feed all. Of you. So they're consolidating. I think they're going to see a huge shift in their content either for the better because they're going to like fight to survive or for the worse. And then they're going to fold. But we have seen a lot in just the last few years with all the visual media industries, whether journalism, print journalism, video production in the corporate and government fields, uh, documentary filmmaking, and film production, where you can't just be a lighting guy. You can't just be the sound guy. you got to know a little bit of everything. And if you want to stay relevant in today's market, that's something very important to keep in mind. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. <clears throat> well, I guess it's probably time for us to wrap it up. Uh, it's getting getting close to our hour mark. Uh, so do you guys have anything else you'd like to add for this evening? Nope. Sorry for any uh, feedback issues. I, I'm obviously not on a great connection. <laughs> I have a AC unit worrying behind Joe, me. So. Joe is recording from the... Uh, Terminal at the, air, at the airport yeah. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> from hangar, yeah. hangar yeah. <laughs> five. I'm currently, you know, in a bathroom. Yeah. No. <laughs> What's the vector, Victor? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, you got anything else for us this evening? Actually, I really don't. I'm kind of lost for words today. Well, well, yeah. I'd, I'd like to say a quick thank you guys for having me on the show. I really appreciate you Thanks having me. Thanks for coming. Here. Appreciate it. And uh, got to plug my uh, documentary one more time here. The documentary is called Dream: An American Story, and it's a really cool seven-part webisode series right now that you can watch today, this very second. Go to immigrationmovie.com. That's immigrationmovie.com. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy. Yeah, or Dream the Movie on Twitter, which Zach has graciously pulled up for us. And uh, you, you guys are doing your due diligence. We, well played. We are. <laughs> and one other thing before we leave, I know it's 10 o'clock, but Jamie, I know we were talking about a giveaway last week. I'm pretty sure you want to plug that again, don't you? Sure. Uh, actually, I don't, even know, I don't even know how Zach was managing this, to be honest with you. I know there was a link that went up 
and I don't have that link with me handy right now. Yeah, so if if you go to our uh, to the to the show's Facebook page, um, and we'll probably tweet that out again much more this week. Um, you can uh, you can find our raffle copter uh, widget up in the the top bar there. Um, you really just need to do a couple of things, and they're all listed in the widget. Uh, make sure that you're doing everything that's mentioned in the widget because we're going to go back and we're going to check the, the winner to make sure that they're actually doing that. And if we find out that you, for example, didn't follow Jamie, then you're you're going to be disqualified. So then I'm house. I mean, not bag. chosen. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I put a couple of other things in the bag too. So yes. Give us a give us a like on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Um, follow us on Twitter. Follow us everywhere. Follow, follow Joe well, in real life. Well, Stop yeah, him. so maybe follow not his. that much. Maybe follow not that Joe. Much, but in general, follow the F-Stops here. And um, we're looking forward to having Jason uh, back on the show sometime soon. Send me um, a direct message and I will send you Joe's address. Um, please do not do that. Um, <laughs> or don't share my phone number or anything like else like that. But, yes, and uh, hopefully next time we can get Jason on the show with uh, Josh as well, because I know Josh is really bummed he can't be here this week. And uh, thanks everybody for joining us this week, Jamie and Zach. It's been a pleasure, as much as it pains me to say that. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. God, just a joke. So anything, anything else? Last words for Zach? Needs me for the seventh time tonight. Seventh. I think we're up to the dozen. Yeah, but since I always do the outro, uh, thanks everybody for joining us, and you've been uh, listening to the F Stops Here podcast. 